it's it's recording. Let's just count to ten. Oh, we're recording. Count to ten. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Okay. Are you calculating good. the lag? Yeah. No, I'm just looking at like peaks and stuff like that to see what's good. Okay. All right. Hello, hello. Mine's still walking. No, it won't count. Uh, so tell us more about Spinnaker Summit. What's the what's the format? It's a single day, multi day. It's two days with four consecutive tracks. Okay. Most most of the time. Um, a couple of couple of larger rooms, a couple of smaller ones. Variety of talks. We had all kinds of attendees from Snapchat and Uber and Interesting Capital One and obviously Google and Netflix and um, trying to think of some others. And from how many different countries? I heard. Uh, I think Chris was saying that there's like a good like forty countries being some, represented. It was something like that. Yeah, it's so I, crazy. I don't have a good memory for those kind of figures, but yeah, it was it was like. It was twenty five or forty or something. It was, it that's was that's actually significant. That's yeah. I mean, you, you want to talk about a successful project? Uh, you, you look at like the successor to Asgard, right? Like, did you ever think, you know, all those years ago, that Spinnaker would have gotten to the point where it's got public adoption? You've got other companies interested, contributing, asking questions, writing their own talks. I guess it was always the hope, right? I mean, one of the problems with Asgard was that because it was it was completely targeted around EC2, um, people were forking it and therefore not contributing back to the upstream, um, which was which was the primary motivator for us having it be a multi-cloud platform, which then turned out to be a great thing once Titus came along. Yeah, um, but. I guess this is where we hoped it would be going, but it's probably bigger than anyone imagined. It's probably more successful, more widely adopted than we than we ever imagined it would be. Yeah, I mean, not only did you do because a... it isn't easy to get up and running as well, right? It's <laughs> because it it wasn't something we were concerning ourselves with when we first built the thing. We were, you know, we were a year away from open sourcing at that point, and we were doing it within the Netflix environment and just handcrafting all of the infrastructure and and it's so we could do what we needed and intend to fix it later and then never get around to fixing it later because that's how projects happen that's how it works <laughs> um, so it's not easy to get up and running and it's got significant resource requirements especially if you want to run multiple services on one box yeah my, my favorite so I'm, uh... I'm impressed people have the ability to stick with it long enough to get the thing working. Which is interesting, right? You've got developers coming across a particular framework, let's say it's Node, mm -hmm. right? And those of the JVM background might have a bias against using something like Node. So it's like, they're not properly motivated to use the product and they don't really give a crap because they can get going with whatever tech stack that they are most familiar with. And I know with. what I'm like when I discover a new project that sounds interesting. It's like, if the documentation doesn't hold my hand for, the, for that first five minutes, well enough that i can feel like i'm going to get somewhere with it i'm out is that true because you've well, gone past rat packs lack of documentation <laughs> yeah okay it helps when you know the people there but um i, I know what you mean though. yeah it's yeah, like if you're I, neutral especially if you go search 
searching for something to solve a particular problem to scratch a particular itch right you you look around on google and you find two or three different projects that appear to be in that space so this and is a, yeah like the the evaluation period can be truncated pretty quickly quickly if it's painful to get off the ground or if it's not clear one thing that drives me crazy with open source projects is like you've got a nice readme there it gives me a lot of instructions about how to get it set up and everything but i don't even know what it is <laughs> there's no there's kind of no at the top of your readme that says this is a project that does xyz yeah i'm most surprised yeah. when there's when there's those repos like that that like are trending on github and yeah click right. out like, it, they click out to it and it's like why does this have 250 stars i have no idea it, what this thing does it's got a cool name but otherwise yeah. i have no idea what yeah. it does probably, how do you how do you gain adoption and my my only assumption is that like word of mouth or small communities but that's not going to help you with any sort of large scale adoption yeah for sure so anyway should we introduce ourselves <laughs> we've uh, yeah, got we, a good we can do that you can go all ahead. right you can go ahead danny introduce yourself all right my name is uh danny and with me we've is rob yep. fletcher our favorite guest yeah, danny, and, <laughs> danny and rob are in a room together so. I don't know. We're gonna get you. We're gonna get you up there. We're gonna get put some notches yeah. on your belt. Yeah. Um, Womp, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, I guess I'm I'm Womp or or Michael. I go by Michael too. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm sitting in Minnesota where it's on the verge of snowing, and you two are in California where that's not even close to an option. So, I mean, unless you drive four hours east and go even, to yeah, even then this time of year it's not. So last time we were talking, you were all the way in New York City, right? So the last time we did an episode with yeah. Rob Fletcher, yeah, we had to coordinate across three time zones and find a time where that worked. It's <laughs> become an enormous challenge for us, especially since Danny moved to California, because it used to be where you know the late at nights were easier to swing, but now challenges of scheduling have just gotten more serious. Right. Yeah. Well, what's interesting, what's coming up on the ballot for the California vote is the proposition number seven which is uh permanent daylight savings time yeah that's the right way around because they had a prop on that last year i think or the year before to stay on pacific standard time but pacific standard time is the sucky one because that's the one where you least sunlight right, right the least you get less sunlight yeah so yeah huh. so playing on pacific daylight <laughs> would be amazing yeah, so you're minus two from us right now. Imagine yeah. if you're minus three. That'll just add to the... Uh... Yeah, that's going to be the cancellation of the podcast. Oh, God. <laughs> I don't know how we, how we swing that. But I'm pretty sure people thought it was already canceled. Yeah, yeah some people. So, yeah, this is, uh, this is fun to have an exception. We're on, we're on technically, I think, season two, but really, who knows how seasons work. Uh, <laughs> Limited run. And we've got... Rob is back. So, Rob, for anyone who doesn't know who you are, Talk about yourself. Tell us who you are. Um, so I'm an engineer at Netflix. I've been here for four years now. I guess I know a bunch of guys. We have a bunch of mutual friends from the Groovy and Grails community going back a bunch of years where I, that's kind of where I came out of to where I am now, even though I'm not really using either Groovy or Grails anymore, yes. but um, <laughs> still have a lot of contacts in that. Well, in Minneapolis through attending GreatConf there several times. Yeah, that's no longer a thing. It, that is, uh, 
That's that is Dunzo. Already ConfuS. Oh. Reach has formally announced that they're no longer doing Groovy focused hmm. things. So Alberto and so that was a great uh, Ivan this year, right? That was the last U.S. Oh, okay. great conf. Yeah. Uh, people people are looking for different kinds of solutions now, and I know that's so that's kind of why I have some interest in talking with you. So obviously, I've I've met you at, at great conf. Let's hope we know each other. But in talking mm -hmm. with Danny, it seems like well, I've also seen on Twitter that you've got projects that you're working on, and like you said, you're not really using Groovy anymore, but you're you're still solving similar problems, but using different tools. Like sure. you're really into Kotlin now, and I'm seeing a lot of people who are into Kotlin. A lot more talk about that lately. Um, so. Yeah, like what, what is Kotlin, Rob? Why do you like it so much? And why is it better than Groovy? Well, <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't want to come along and diss Groovy. I, I, no, no, know, for sure. I'm just joking. It's a great thing. Um, I think how I got to Kotlin was Groovy introduced static compilation, which I thought was a terrible idea at the time and then was proved totally wrong. <laughs> that it was that it was the best thing the language ever did um but but really the thing it taught me was that i actually liked statically compiled languages so i i started kind of casting around there ended up looking at scala obviously got to a certain level of depth of that but i there were things that frustrated me about it and still frustrate me um kotlin just seemed to scratch that itch where it's you know it's like a Scala for dummies. It's Scala for somebody like me who doesn't have a math degree or a computer science degree. Um, it's very pra it's practically focused. That's the aim of the language, much like Groovy is. So it kind of hit that sweet spot of it's everything I liked about Groovy and it's everything I liked about Scala and none of the stuff that I didn't like. And it's pretty small and pragmatic and it's it's like a better Java. Doesn't have any of the the overhead um, linguistically that Java has. Uh, so it just seemed to hit this sweet spot between all of those languages that I've, languages I've been exploring on the back end. Uh, it just falls right in the middle of all of the all of the nice things about them, I think. Yeah, I don't I don't know how they've managed to do this. But I, I would almost call out Kotlin on cheating a little bit because they've got first class support from Google in the way of Android environment, mm -hmm. uh, the build tool. So of course, you know, Kotlin and IntelliJ, great integration there. Uh, the build tool, Gradle, is first-class support there. Uh, works pretty well. And so, you, <laughs> sure, Maybe. yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, there's a couple. Uh, doesn't it? So, so the first thing that comes to mind there is, yeah, you're right. Like, oh, it seems like they, they've got some advantages that are kind of confusing and how did they get there? But then you think about like Oracle suing Google all over the place. And then right. You're like, well, maybe that makes sense. So yeah, I, I think I them, think I could see them wanting to get away from that. To be honest, I think they were pretty laser focused on that result. Obviously, the the tooling thing is huge because, I mean, I was working with Groovy back in the day when oh, when, it's, when, when it's the tooling support in IntelliJ was horrendous. Now it's it's pretty pleasant. I was um, using but, Eclipse. Yeah, right. I mean, I, probably the last time I touched Eclipse was in those days, trying to find something that worked better on, you know, Grail 0.6 or something. Yeah. And you, you were as well using a text editor. Mm -hmm. And I'm a huge believer in using IDEs because because refactoring is a thing that we have to do. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and yeah, 
Kotlin obviously had that support from day one, and and you know it's it's a better experience than it is writing Java in IntelliJ. So yeah, it should be right. That's probably a huge boost for it. And the Android thing sent it over the edge. I mean, personally, I don't know the first thing about Android development, but I can see that there was obviously a desire in that community for a language that was a little more modern in its approach, especially given that they were stuck on Java 6 for such a long time. Yeah. So they couldn't take advantage of, of some of the new language features that came along in Java 8. Uh, Groovy tried to do some, I mean, I think that's that's part of the reason Groovy pursued static compilation as an option, was to try and address um, the Android market, but it just didn't land in the way that, that Kotlin did. And especially when you know Google came out and, and declared support as a you know an officially supported language, it was interesting because that happened around the time that I was, I was trying to push for using Kotlin on our project here at Netflix, which we we work on in kind of collaboration with uh, Google. And some of the Google guys were more reticent about the idea of using using Kotlin. And then during that during that time when we were having that discussion, that back and forth. Um, Google announced support for for Kotlin on Android, and I was like, "Well, you can't say no now, right?" <laughs> yeah. yeah, helps you win that battle. Yeah, I think that I mean, so in the Android development community, uh, I can only imagine that Kotlin makes it a lot more makes Android a lot more appealing to develop for as a target um, right. when you when you're comparing it to what uh, what Apple has, and then with with Swift and the the direction they've gone and and with language design and trying to make things easier, easier to adopt and easier to develop with. So they, right. I feel I like they kind of had to do something, especially when you make the point of them being locked into Java six. I mean, there's, there's a big gap there. Yeah. I think a lot of people have commented on the similarities between Kotlin and Swift. Um, I don't, I remember looking at Swift some years ago when I was doing a little bit of work that touched on iOS. Um, and I had, I went as far as having to write a bit of objective C, which wasn't, what I would call a particularly pleasant experience. <laughs> but Swift looked pretty cool. Um, and obviously it's matured since and I haven't been keeping track on it, but I've heard people comment about how similar it is to Kotlin and and the skills are to some extent portable between the, the two. Um, and yeah, I think the fact that it puts Android on that level playing field in, in terms of modern tooling and a really nice developer experience is probably quite a big deal for... <sighs> Yeah, I mean, you imagine like UI development is always about having a non-blocking, continuously computing uh, I, like a UI thread, right? Mm -hmm. That manages the state of the UI. And you've got a bunch of uh, like handlers for events that you want to write and throw away. Um, doing that stuff in Java 6 with like anonymous inner classes. Yeah, right. It's good. It's going to be anonymous listener classes everywhere. And you're going to want to also manage concurrency for things happening async. And then that's also a nightmare. And so. Right. Yeah. Because a lot of the standard lib support for that was. It's somewhat executor based, right? Yeah. And, or you got to use some kind of like a blocking queue or something to, to broker everything and process them. But uh, I, I, I would, I would want to ask Rob, what is the one feature that just makes you feel extra warm inside when you're using it in uh, Kotlin? I think the obvious one is is the compile time null safety. Mm, okay. That's that's such an enormous thing because, you know, back in I guess Java six they introduced the optional optional type and and Scala has an option type and you know we're familiar with the concept of the option monad generally in in various languages, um, 
but it was never portable between between different versions of Java. So you could write some nice modern Java 6 code a few years ago using optional, but if you're using older libraries that didn't use optional, there was no portability there. You'd be constantly having to do null checks and wrap things in, mm -hmm. in optionals at the right point. And there was always advice around don't expose optional via your APIs yeah. and so on, or, or do expose it by the APIs and don't use it internally. I can't remember which way around it was. Um, but I think, and then, you know, Scala did, took a slightly different approach where, where they had the option type there from day one, but they still didn't have actual compile time null safety. So you could have, you could have kind of another whole state on your, on your option type where your variable that's of this option type could also just be null. Hmm. Um, and what you were supposed to do in Scala was just not ever use null. But of course, again, if you're interacting with, with Java libraries and one of the huge strengths of working in the JVM space is that library ecosystem is is enormous um so if you were if you were using java libraries from from scala then you're going to be doing a lot of null checking again or a lot of dealing with nulls um and wrapping things in option types and i think the really smart decision kotlin made there was to make nullability behave like an option type to some extent um so you have this backwards compatibility with all of these java libraries that that accept and return null from various methods, but you, because com, uh, Kotlin can detect that in the compiler phase, you can treat it much more like an option type in the in the code you're actually writing in Kotlin. I think it's just this really smart. Um, it, it just points to this pragmatic approach that Kotlin takes, where where you know they've not gone for a purist approach. You can criticize Kotlin's nullability. For not being a true monad, for example, and you know, okay, they don't haven't gone as far as Ceylon, where they've got complete union and intersection types, and nullability is just a, a specific case of that. Uh, Kotlin doesn't go that far, but it's a very practical approach, especially given its position within the within the JVM ecosystem. I think that's like the number one feature that just really you you just never worry about null pointer exceptions, really as long as the Java APIs you're dealing with are, are reasonably sane in that regard. Mm -hmm. hmm. do, do either of you know the story of how Kotlin came to be? I, I don't, but I'm just curious if either of you know more about like the origins of the language itself. Like, Obviously, it came out of JetBrains, right? So I don't, right. Know, I don't know what made them decide to create a language. I feel like I just there was just one day an announcement that it existed. I don't know. I didn't know anything about it prior to that because it, it is – was there a, was there fanfare like on releasing it? Was there a lot of discussion in regards regards to open source technology and stuff like that? Like, I I don't know where it came from really. Yeah, my understanding was also always that it came out of their desire to use a better language, a better Java for writing their own tooling, IntelliJ, for example. Um, but I don't know if that's just kind of hearsay that may not be entirely accurate. Because it was, yeah, it was bubbling under as this kind of interesting language for for a little while that was taking flack from from the Scala community, I guess, for being pretty similar to Scala in a lot of ways. Um, and then suddenly the, the Gradle and Android announcement suddenly just tipped it right into the mainstream and it's been accelerating exponentially ever since, it seems. Yeah, but yeah, where what the exact motivation, how, how much they were aiming for, okay, let's build us 
a language that we can target at backend and Android developers, yeah. whether that's an intention up front, I don't know. It, it is a pretty risky endeavor right. to back, to commercially back support for this, for a language. Yeah, yeah I mean, like, how many is, failed languages strange... have there been? Yeah. <clears throat> like to, to say as a company, we're going to dedicate this amount of our budget to languages, which has weird consequences, like having support in competing IDEs for the language that you want, <laughs> that you're writing out, right? Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden, these uh, IntelliJ folks are having to support Kotlin and Eclipse. Maybe that's a different team. I don't know how that works, but I'm sure they must be involved. Yeah, yeah. It's just a, it's an interesting uh, analysis. I'd love to learn more about how whoever could call the shots did like a risk analysis and thought about how it's going to impact the business and how it's going to take away and what the forecast is going to look like. I like ultimately, to know if it was something that came out if if they're like. They as a as some some someone in the company someone in leadership decided leadership technical leadership that is decided oh this is something we need to do, uh, or if it was someone internally who just like started doing things, or if they as a group decided okay let's do this let's bring some like we don't have the people, obviously they have people who know about programming programming languages but creating a language is it's just different concerns I'm, I'm there's just so much about that I wonder when you're they're already an established company they didn't build it on the back of Kotlin. That was just something right. that came yeah, out as the, well. There's such a high risk of failure. And uh, and what's the ROI? How do you measure right. that? No, 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 <laughs> like, how do you measure yeah. the success of Kotlin other than adoption oh, and like how do you how do you make money from it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I wonder. Does have are are you at Netflix or anyone you know actually using Kotlin to to build Gradle or Gradle files? Because I haven't I haven't yet to actually see a a Kotlin, a Kotlin Gradle build file. So I have fairly recently ported my little side project, the build for that to Gradle um, using Kotlin. Um, we're not doing it on any projects I'm aware of here. I'm, I'm guessing some of the people involved in Nebula are, they're certainly using Kotlin to build Gradle plugins. Yeah. But yes. whether, whether anyone is actually using the Kotlin scripting we, language to write We don't have script, support. Uh, at the moment, and the reason is that linting is all done on AST transforms. Mm -hmm. So the original uh, at Nebula, we have support for this functionality called linting, which you can use to actually modify files so that they adhere to some kind of standard, right? A la, a la linting. So as an example, like if you were to, I don't know, in Gradle five, the left shift and right shift operators are going away now, right? Tasks you're supposed to explicitly hook into do first and do last. And so we could write a lint rule that would go through everybody's um, build files. They actually compile them. And then we can look for instances of left shift and right shift and replace them within the context with do first and do last, right? And so because we have to build up that entire AST <clears throat> in order to be able to write lint rules to like target the structure of the AST and then write your transform portion. That all has to be done in Groovy. Uh, so if you had to build KTS file, we would not be able to get an AST out right, of that right. without writing additional tooling for that. So we don't have any support for Nebula on build KTS files. If you want to see what one looks like, you can go on GitHub and search for build KTS files and see what people are doing there. Yeah, It's actually really useful. One of the things that I found enormously helpful in translating my build files into the .kts format was that advanced search option in GitHub where you can search for, you know, this phrase within a file that has this extension. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I 
crib a bunch. It took me quite a while to get my project ported over. It, a couple of full starts and it wasn't trivial. I think it would be easier if you were starting from the from scratch using the, yeah, the Kotlin sure. scripting sure. format, but um, trying to translate some of the wacky things I'd done. Because I had a nice release process set up with everything building on Circle CI using the Nebula uh, release plugin to manage uh, semantic version releases and automatically, you know, as I create a tag on GitHub, it automatically builds it on Circle CI and pushes every, the new jars to bin tray and then it tweets that, oh, this new version is out. That's all done automatically with Gradle. Um, so I, I was doing some somewhat non-standard, non-core functionality with it. So it took a little while to get all that working. Yeah. But it's there I, now. It was, it, I remember when this, when Gradle announced uh, support for Kotlin, it was a big deal in the small community that I'm in. Like people who mm -hmm. had done a lot of Groovy development and they're just like, oh, what about Groovy? Is this gonna, how's this gonna affect Groovy when you know a lot of people who are using Groovy could only be using it for, um, for testing and build-related purposes? And then if they're not using it for, for build-related purposes, then that's just one more chink in the armor, one more you know, reason that people wouldn't be using Groovy. And it, I, I just don't, I haven't seen people adopting it not to say that they are i'm just not seeing it it's it's so tough if you've been cast off of commercial support <laughs> you know in the way of like pivotal supporting yeah. groovy at the time and as soon as you lose that like everybody loses confidence in you whereas like if you've never had that it probably doesn't hurt that right that's never you know it's kind of worse to have that commercial backing and then have it swept from out from under you because what ends up happening it goes into a foundation where projects typically go to when they're on life support or maybe maintenance mode um people yeah, don't want to invest in it like they're they're like oh people aren't going to be actively maintaining this thing and adding new features so it felt like there was a lot of um, uncertainty in the groovy community around the time because of, of those reasons um and so this announcement came out that oh yeah Gradle's going to support colin now and everyone threw their hands up in despair and and worried that this this meant some kind of death knell for groovy and i just don't think that's happened and they're pretty uh, the tooling supporting gradle is not i would say is not quite there yet for for making making the pro the experience what they promised in terms of how easy it can be to to you know rely on static compilation and yeah. and and type inference and so on to to make the developer experience of writing groovy uh, writing gradle files in kotlin easier and that's it's, what everyone was looking forward to right? that's that was like the big selling point, at least as far as my understanding was, was you're going to get all this this static typing and it's going to make everything better. Yeah, I think, again, it's a, I guess it's partly a tooling thing there. If if Gradle was a JetBrains product, I bet the experience would be a whole lot better already. And it's getting better, but it's not there yet, I don't think. We can, we can, uh, we can just ping Jen, Jen Strader. We could have her fix Right, up. yeah. Yeah, she just announced. Was that today? Or she announced it or yesterday? Yeah, I don't know because she's in Central Europe, so I, I don't know what day it is. Jen's going to Gradle. She's employed oh, there now. Yeah, she got hired as a developer advocate. Good. Yeah. Oh, congrats! That's awesome. Yeah, that's cool. So yeah, there's. I saw she's she's so good at responding to tweets. There were a whole bunch of people who said congratulations or something along those lines, and every single person got a response. <laughs> so yeah, yeah that's, that's that's interesting. So so. Gradle is one of those, Gradle's a, a product that people are using for, you know, all sort building all sorts of different things, but it's, it's not supported. It's tied to like Google. It's tied to, um, 
JetBrains and these things like that, where like there are other companies that depend on it, and it's like a first. Uh, it's what do you call it? It's just basically it's 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 fully integrated, and then the expectation that is that just about everybody is using it. But they're supported by Gradle, which always feels kind of like an alien company to me, just because they're they're building the, the build tool. I don't know. It, it always feels weird. I don't know what they – I know there's been all this work on building some web tooling for sharing configuration um, build errors and failures and successes and stuff. Mm-hmm. But it still feels like this – you just I, you know, I don't really ever think about that company unless I have to go look at documentation or something is broken or something like that. Yeah, all their consultancy wing is is obviously a huge part of their business, which yeah. tends to be, I think, from our perspective in you know talking as someone in an open source community, it's that feels like a black box because typically they're going into big enterprises and helping them. Yeah, I don't know a couple gigantic horrendous maven builds. Yeah, I mean, there was there was Ben Mushko was here at Netflix for some time around the time that I started. But yeah, we have a long history. We have a good relationship with uh, Gradle, I'd oh, say. I imagine. Um, primarily, like the most recent efforts around Nebula have been to port all the functionality out to Gradle native. So it's part of like an open source partnership between Netflix and Gradle. Um, and there's been things like dependency locking, which ex- landed in exactly in a, what Gradle four eight or something, uh, which was an improved version of something that existed as a Nebula plugin before that. Yeah, so for dependency locks in Nebula, we had to do a lot of different computations and stuff in order to effectively get you an opinion that would hold true when you're resolving your metadata. But now that each configuration gets its own lock and you can apply opinions on top of that through constraints, it's it's so much nicer to just have that at the internal Gradle level rather than us like cloning configurations and trying to float versions and trying to tie down so that we can align versions of a particular module and so on and so forth. And it's not deterministic. If we're not able to like clamp down on a configuration <clears throat> that adheres to all of your requirements in five tries, we just give up. <laughs> <laughs> it's not it's not easy. It's not easy. So to have that be done by Gradle in a Gradle way. And to have that support land is, it's amazing, you know? And I mean, like LinkedIn has contributed uh, functionality too. Like that, that's how they got the continuous mode. Remember that? Mm, yeah. That came out of the LinkedIn partnership. Uh, what else? There's the support for Scala and play applications. So instead of having like a mini Python like application that would manage like hot reloading and replacing bytes and stuff like that on your play application, mm-hmm. you just use Gradle to do it, you know? How is it in the front end space these days? Because I remember that was always somewhat painful when I was doing like mixed mode projects that had a front and back end component. And the dream is obviously build them all with one one command and it never quite came together for me. Yeah. So, I mean, unless you're making your own configuration for your web dependencies, then have your own web resolver, which I think Craig Burke has done. Um and I don't know how extensive that support is in terms of resolving things as like a dependency for a particular configuration in your build file, but I don't know. I would. Uh, sounds like horrible, but I would just use npm and Webpack so, and and, uh, and, and that's yarn. The, that's the reality of what we're doing on Spinnaker, for example, where you know where it's a microservice system anyway. So the the UI project is a completely separate repo on GitHub and deploys by itself, and it's just an npm. So. Yeah, or you, or you just use Node for everything. 
that's always an the option. Problem goes away. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I so use I'm using Gradle with a with a Node uh, Node plugin to is it basically the mood just, just the basically mood? it just executes an, an npm task is all it's doing. So make sure right. it's installed. Is it the encoder plugin? The Moo Node yeah, Node I work? So. I think that's whatever. Right. Yep. Yeah. yeah, I was just wondering if there'd been any movement in that space because it's a few years since I, I since I tried to do anything like that. I don't know. I think Grails has really been the only framework working with Gradle to you know compile and do UI stuff. Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm not really sure <laughs> what the story looks like today. That's I don't know. I I wouldn't feel uncomfortable maintaining a separate application that was just entirely in Node sure. NPM and then yeah. compile that and. Then copy that into a resources. Especially because the tooling and, and best practices in that space specifically move so fast, right? Yeah, yeah that too. And, and you're never going to convince front-end guys to, to use Grail to build things. Uh, yeah, if you hire a designer, a UX person, a UI person, and or a web developer, and you tell them, OK, before you get started, download the JDK, yeah. uh, set your path to have a Java home, now install SDK man so you can install Gradle, Okay, good. You're almost you there. Now you're gonna need to. SDK man, though. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Okay. So it's, it's just so much easier. All right. Okay. So get SDK <laughs> man. Install Java. Then install Gradle. Right. It's it's impossible install. to build anything. Nobody knows how to build anything. Like, oh, so so <laughs> like the the application I'm working on right now. I'm working on a couple different applications. One's a Rat Pack app, and then one is a it's a Scala app, and it scares me because Scala code scares me. Uh, and I and I've. You know, I'm more, I'm much more comfortable with the Rat Pack app. So I have the Rat Pack app, and I have a, a separate tool for building the client side assets. They end up getting served up through uh, via Rat Pack. But I, I have, for for general development purposes, I start up the Rat Pack app, completely separate from the front end world, and then my front end build tool on the side. So I'm just running two tools at once, and I'm fine with that for the most part. And then. The, the Scala app is kind of the same thing. It's just going to be copying resources. I just don't have the build side of things figured out over there because they're using uh, SBT. And just mm -hmm. everything in Scala land confuses me. Um, it's, yeah. I can't look at it and just start getting it and start being productive. Like, oh, I just need to tweak this one little thing because I start looking at the code and then my head starts to hurt and then I got to go read documentation. And the documentation well, is confusing. It doesn't help that when they have things like implicit that, uh, you know, are are designed to make it basically impossible to read the code <laughs> as it stands and know everything about it in a glance because it, but I, I mean I, I get why people like it. It's just not for me. Like you said, I'm right. you're, you're I, not a I mathematician. I'm not either. Yeah. And there are some really smart people I know that swear by Scala and really like it and that's fine. Um, I think it I, don't, I think it makes I think if you're a really smart person and you're using Scala, you also probably feel really smart. I That's got to be Scala users right? think that, like feel really smart using it, and not to say that they're all like that because I know they're not. Most of the people I've worked with haven't haven't fallen into that group. But the idea of like, oh, I'm using Scala because look at all this cool, smart, clever stuff I can do. Right. Yeah, I think that's making a, unreadable that's code. Really yeah, when that, you're that, writing, that really discourages code. me. You know, there's that Spinal Tap line is such a fine line between stupid and clever, right? Yeah. And I think that's very, very applicable to software development generally. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, I'm all... <laughs> is this a really good thing or a really shitty thing that I'm about to do? <laughs> yeah. you... I don't, I don't know what's going on. You two are in the room talking to each other. 
Oh, you were not hearing. Uh, did you not get any of that? No, I heard that. I just wasn't sure what you were about to. You just said you're about to do something. I was. Oh, you were just talking about maintaining code. Never mind. I right. thought you were yeah. about to like break off into some huge rant. <laughs> I was lost. All right. I want to take this interruption to focus us back onto why we have Rob in the first yeah. place. Is uh, Rob likes to inflict his software on the world in the form of open source projects. And so we'd like to hear Rob a little bit of, first of all, how dare you? Second of all, what is strict? Is it, is it, is that how you pronounce it? Strict or, yeah. or Stree KT? It's, it's strict, but strict? Um, you know, you see it's clever because it's with strict to a K. So it's KT <laughs> at the end, which is the file You're extension. You're so clever. Very you, you made I, a name that no one can that. pronounce. No one knows how to say it. It's not, how is that hard to pronounce? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I did agonize. I didn't, I didn't. I didn't think there were other alternatives to saying it. Danny just started saying stuff. So I just, That's just a Danny. Thing. I just wanted to introduce the, uh, put a little controversy around it so the, the viewers, <laughs> the viewers, the listeners, the listeners have something to uh, build up anticipation about. Yeah, so, so, so this is a, it's a what is, we started talking about Kotlin, right? And that's kind of what we're going into to Rob's project, which is, and I'll let Rob talk about it, but it's a Kotlin based tool. So yeah, it's, it's an assertion library for Kotlin. So it's, it's somewhat like a search a, uh, but for Kotlin, um, has some design goals over and above a search a, because you can obviously just use a search a in Kotlin, which I was doing for quite a long time before I, you know, decided to go down this route of trying to, trying to build my own, own, own tool there. Uh, I think at some point, you know, the, the testing story has been maturing on Kotlin and obviously the, the success of JUnit 5 has given us a a test runner that's somewhat more modern than the than the JUnit 4 ones beforehand that can do that can do kind of smart things with the test factory annotation which JUnit 4 certainly couldn't and it had rather inelegant solutions for with parameterized tests and oh theories that, that yeah we're just like if you'd ever used Spock in Groovy with its data tables and and this beautifully simple way of driving iter iterated tests. Mm -hmm. um, going back to use, using like the parameterized test annotation in, in JUnit 4 was, was horrendous, but JUnit 5 has this test factory, which is really, pretty nice. Um, but I always felt like the thing that I was slightly missing was a really assertion and assert J is good up to a point, but there were things about it that I didn't really like. And in fairness to Assert J, those things were largely a product of the fact that it's written in Java. And there were there were certain things that it would be almost impossible to do, I think, in Java that, that you can do in a much more simple way in Kotlin. Um, so I think that's really the genesis of the project. I, I tried to initially write it for around Assert J, but just got very tangled up because Assert J's class hierarchy is monstrously complex due to the fact that they are using Java and targeting Java. All right. So can you give us an example of, let's say, something that was really frustrating to do in a search J because of the limitations of I think archaic Java that just go away with Kotlin? I think implementing your own. So, so I think that the three, there are three things that Strict has going for it over and above a search A. And it's not as mature as a search A by any means at this stage. But the fact that it's super easy to implement your own assertion functions, because Kotlin has extension functions where you can, you can basically ship what in the bytecode is a static 
method um, and your code is able to import that and use it as though it were a member method or target type. Um, so teaching an old dog new tricks? Yeah, maybe. exactly. Yeah. So you're, <laughs> you're kind of extending in a scoped way as well, which is really nice. So you can import, import different extensions in different, in different contexts. Um, so the strict approach is that every single assertion function it provides is an extension function on an assertion builder class with a particular generic type, which is the, which is the type of the subject in that context. So this is something that assertJ kind of tries to do, but it ends up having to have this enormous classes for dealing with all kinds of different subject types and targeting the, the assertion functions appropriately at them. Whereas with Kotlin, you can just do it with an extension function and the variance is all in that generic type. So you can have in strict, you can have assertions that apply only to iterables or assertions that apply, apply only to strings. And you don't have to like create your string assertion builder class and your iterable assertion builder class and your listic assertion builder class. You just target at an assertion builder with a generic type of that something that extends one of those types. So it's a whole lot easier to, to um, build a rich library of assertion functions without having to create a, a really huge underlying core library. The, the core library of strict is really, really small. Whereas I think that's where an enormous amount of the complexity is in, in a search a when you look under the hood. A search a is really, really nice to use, but if you look under the hood and figure out how to make changes to it or start extending to it, extending it, it's it's really complex. And that's because it has to be. So are you using uh, reified types in this or is in, it just in some contexts, but not actually very extensively. Okay. I think extension is enough. Yeah, right. So I think the is a assertion function which like you know asserts that your subject is so a member of this other type. Okay. Um so it is it's like an instant of, instance of check. I think that's the only one in the standard library that uses a reified generic type. Okay. Most of them just don't need to. Because um also you you can only do that on inline functions in in Kotlin, which has some other limitations. As, no, that's right. Which inflicts some other limitations on you. Primarily being that you can't in an inline function, you can't refer to any non-visible APIs. So I was really conscious in strict of trying to separate all the internals in such a way that you just can't see them. Um, so your your you know your code completion in IntelliJ is not offering you up these weird APIs that you don't really have any business messing with. <laughs> um, yeah. And that gives me the freedom to change that without breaking everyone's code as well. Um, cool. And another thing that um, the search a did was, I forget the name of the function, but it's it's effectively like a map. And if you've got an, if let's say you've got a list and you want to map to a property of each element in the list, and the only way it could do that was 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 string based. You know, so you would call a function that said the name of this property as a string, and it would return you a list of that thing. Whereas I can do that in a type safe way with with strict on in Kotlin, um, so that is nice because then if you rename that property, everything just fixes itself by the magic of IntelliJ refactoring, and you don't have to hunt down a bunch of strings that may or may not be relevant to the thing you're refactoring. Yeah, it's tough. I feel like at some point, once you need some dynamic behavior based on the limitation of your 
like a language that you're working on, you end up going with stringly type things. Yeah, <laughs> and I think I think that's such a trap that it's really, really easy to fall into. Oh, yeah. I mean, we've done it. Spinnaker suffers from that problem with some of his with a lot of his APIs and in even the internal models. Well, it's just things are just like maps of lists of maps of strings and special cases everywhere and like you different parts of the code base and the same concept is called several different things and then some other class has to deal with all of those different possibilities because it was written later and yeah type systems are good <laughs> and we should, we should use them as much as possible rob i have this thing where if i hear about a new piece of software and i'm assessing it i go to the website and the readme or whatever's <laughs> available and I just see, you know, if I can't figure it out in five minutes, then, then yeah. it's just not worth my time. Uh, Interesting. How, how does this work for, uh, how does this relate to your project? Do you have documentation? Can I go there? I've looked I at do. it. It's been, I looked at it like two months ago or something. It's been a while since I, yeah, so I glanced at it. It's strict to the K.io. Um, and there is some documentation there, which um, I built initially using JBake. Oh, God. And then um, actually a, a really nice, helpful person in the community who has written a, a static site generator called Orchid recently just contributed me a nice big pull request that ported everything to that. There's um, nothing for self-serving. Right hey, use my static site generator. What who, What is this Orchid thing? It's a JVM-based static it's site? It's a JVM-based static site generator, yeah. It, it And it can integrate with with like KDOC and Javadoc generation and mm. include your API classes in the in the published site, which is something that I'd done some horrendous hack to to do with JBake, where I was kind of emitting, uh, yeah, I was emitting HTML from uh, from KDoc, and then uh, I was like stripping the headers from it uh, and putting okay, these apart. putting these kind of um, YAML headers in, so that You're so that um, <laughs> so that JBake would wrap it wrap it with its site template, and yeah, it was it worked, but it was it was it was on a minus level of evil i think this is interesting you were the you were the second person seven day period to bring up jbake in a conversation really um met up with mike mcgar oh yeah, yeah. on friday and he was going to get back into blogging uh -huh. so uh spoiler alert unless he's already published something but he was taking a look at jbake and uh thinking of making some improvements there because well, they could use some improvements it's it's not bad i don't think that's um... exactly <laughs> I, my question with with that kind of thing would be why why are you going down the JVM route um, when there are so there's a Go based one that I you know generators in everything or yeah, yeah or just or use Ruby Medium and, or I mean, yeah I know, okay you you might object to sort of Medium's hegemonizing ambitions to own all of blogging but uh, yeah. as a platform it's fine yeah right you know um and you don't end up with that horrible en engineer designed blog blogging <laughs> site where where like the the you know everything's in eight point font and spans the entire screen yeah yeah, yeah. no no respect for uh the width of your container of your text container no right. no respect to like line spacing or margining or, or like readability generally. yeah yeah, yeah. So, um so I, rob you you've got documentation yeah it's available at you said strict.io strikt.io Correct. Okay. So with that said, you kind of told us a little bit about it um, and, and why you, what appeals to you about it and why you made it. But like, what is, what is your like 
15, 20 second pitch for people to actually check it out and use it? What problems does it solve that they might be facing now and why should they use it? Um, I, I think there are limited options for assertion libraries on, on Kotlin. There are one or two, um, but most, most people probably will default back to using the assertions built into JUnit or, or using assertJ. And I think strict is a kind of nice Kotlin native option that is strongly typed all the way down. It gives you soft assertions out of the box. It gives you really good diagnostics. And it gives you type, yeah, type safety. I mentioned already. Mention it again because I think that's that's really key. Uh, one of our coworkers, uh, Danny Thomas, mm -hmm. he's he's introduced strict into Astrid. Okay. And so he's been like, this is great, and uh, we'll we'll have to get him to tell us more about. What and because it's just an assertion library, it's not it's not a test runner. Yeah. It's not really doing anything complex. It's you know it uses the OpenTestJ um, exception classes. So you get some level of IDE integration, you know, if the exception, an exception gets thrown when a test fails, you know, IntelliJ will give you that little dialogue with like, oh, here's your, here's the diff between the expected and the actual values and those kind of things. It's, it's not a big library. It's something I can keep on top of. It's, it's pretty straightforward. It's, it's pretty contained. Um, I don't have any crazy ambitions to make it the next Spock or the next whatever it's, it's a library that does this one very specific. Yeah, when, I think one of the things that I, yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say when you when you when you started the project and um, you sat down, and you're like, all right, I'm gonna make this tool, and you pulled up your terminal, you type mictor, and then you you had to give it a name. What was the name of the initial directory? Yeah, I did have one. Um, it's not Kirk, is it? It was Kirk. Yeah. It was so that's right. Which I got from um, Ken Carson. He suggested that. Which I get, obviously, it's a play on Spark. It's, um, and oh. then, so I actually went calling it that. And then, um, and then, like, belatedly, I did a search in the, on, on Google for like Kotlin Kirk. And there was already a project out there, hmm. which wasn't, yeah. it didn't appear to be super active, but it was like, I kind of a dick move to step on somebody's, yeah, step on somebody's name like that. So I, I, decided I had to change it and, it and agonized over it for quite a while trying to figure out <laughs> it worked. Yeah, Thanks for nothing, Colin, Ken. Yeah. He just caused right, yeah, pain. Yeah. Yeah. Projects never Thanks start off, like, it seems like things never have, you start off with a name, but then for whatever reason, your, your name is, is usually tightly tied to a, some sort of goal or expectation of what you're making. And then a lot of times things just change based on that alone. Yeah, but... I, mean, I guess it was probably called like Kotlin Assertions or something unimaginative like that when I, when I, when I did that in yeah. make the e command and, uh, and yeah, at, at the point where I thought, okay, this is kind of working. I should probably think of a name for it. I, I tweeted something out and, and Ken Cousin came back with that, which turned out to be an enormous misdirection. <laughs> Ken Cousin, by the way, who is now officially Kotlin licensed. Yeah, well, he's, a, he's, he's a, that rumor. Yeah, is he no, licensed he, or is he, is he now an official advocate? Or certified. What? Oh, is that a thing? He's Kotlin certified. He said yes. you have to read a bunch and spend some money. So he is now officially Kotlin Ken. Kotlin Ken. Ooh. Whew. So, I mean, that was he, announced. Uh, he was announced that, as Kotlin Ken like how long ago? Was that uh, was announced on Twitter by I think you? I think so. <laughs> you, you, you were Craig who 
This was I yeah, think yeah. That was right around go, when, when go that was to go to Twitter, like time, search for Colin Ken, or sort by you know dates, and I'm I am the first. Uh, <laughs> I'll take credit for that. <laughs> it was either you or Craig Burke I, or Horse Craig Burke. Oh, we, <laughs> it was a coordinated effort. Marketing takes it takes a village, you know. Yeah. But here we go. It's a reality. Call the future. Dream, dream big. Dream big. <laughs> well, cool. So we got to hear a little bit about Kotlin, yeah. about Spinnaker stuff, uh, about Strict. Yeah. Is there anything uh, you'd like to wrap up with? Are you asking me? I, or, or, or is, it was Rob asking the room. <laughs> Rob, what, what, what occupies your mind recently? In a technical sense or a non-technical sense? Whatever. You want to talk about Good Bad Movie Club? Sure. I think that's a really fun thing that like is an internal like secret Netflix thing that no one really yeah, knows Yeah, it's about. this little club we have at Netflix. It's not even a big deal at Netflix. You're just telling people um, about your secrets? Yeah. <laughs> So Mike McGar started this several years ago, I guess, pretty much around the time I started at Netflix. And it's just a once a month, last last Tuesday of the month, we do we we have a really nice screening room here at Netflix and we um you know, pick out a terrible but with some redeeming qualities movie <laughs> and and sit down and we all bring our laptops and get on with work and with and throw things at the screen and whatever and <laughs> and watch um watch a really terrible movie we had we've had the room on obviously and we've had slipstream which is this fascinating video straight to video movie uh with mark hamill and bill paxton <laughs> and it's it's you know it, it's pretty strange um and we had like highlander 2 which i'd never seen before is fascinatingly awful especially for someone like me who's actually absolutely loves the original highlander and then <laughs> this sequel that just throws everything in the in the garbage and starts again with complete nonsense is is pretty interesting um i'm, I'm all about bad movies that's my yeah opinion. i think there's, there's there's something to be said for like you it's not engaging your brain in a certain way so there's a lot to think about around what's yeah going on in the scripts <laughs> and it's different kind of entertainment yeah there's something really interesting like there's a there are kind of really boring bad movies yeah and then there are the ones that are like trying to be some shooting for something that's so far, far beyond their reach that they're kind of fascinating like i have i have really have no time for like your sharknados or those kind of things where yeah. they're they're aiming to be this kind of campy stupid yeah thing it's the, the the fun ones are the ones where they really think they've got something here and it turns out they kind of they either don't or they don't know how to handle it. So it's some kind of schadenfreude that we... Uh, yeah. I, I like to watch the movies with... The light and these guys failing. It's it's um, it, it's like they're going all out, right? Right, they're going all out and they're, yeah, they've kind of almost got something here, but it's it just comes out kind of wrong. I guess we can all relate to that. That's like every, <laughs> Rob, every do, you have a, do you have a favorite bad movie? I, I have a recommendation for, or, or maybe maybe just something you want to punish people with. And like, you should watch this movie. Do you have one of those? I think you should definitely you should definitely check out Slipstream. Um, that's pretty fascinating. But if if kind of side, it's probably quite hard to get hold of. Um, I think one that is genuinely kind of an unappreciated gem is is a movie we saw called Trespass, which which has this fantastic setup of Bill Paxton and William Sadler are two Arkansas firemen who discover a treasure map to a industrial area of east st louis and they go there to dig up this gold 
and they get caught up in a gang war that involves Ice Cube <laughs> and Ice Tea. <laughs> yeah, it's it's both the ices. Is this, have they ever done that before? <laughs> Is this the first time? I think it's maybe the only time that they're That's both amazing. in in something, and it's like the most 1992 movie you can imagine. It's <laughs> and it, but it it also actually is genuine, genuinely a pretty good movie. It's very much of its time, but yeah. it's it yeah. it's it's a fun one. Yeah, hmm. I think any anything you can go straight to video. There's another good one was driving, which is Ice T again as like a homeless guy who gets recruited by some people who want to do human hunting. What was the name of that one? I think you cut out a little bit. Surviving the game. Surviving the game. And has um, who's the really crazy actor? Nicholas Cage. I, uh, you're on the right line. Slightly older than Nicholas Cage. Gary Boosie. Yeah, I was okay. going to say Gary. I was just going to say Gary, <laughs> Gary Boosie. Boosie. <laughs> yeah, Gary Boosie has an amazing speech about like what what hunting is about in that movie. That's oh, boy, that's that sounds awesome. dreamy. It's, yeah, it sounds like a take on a. Uh, you all know that short story, The Most Dangerous Game. Yeah, yeah, it's it it's, is. Okay. Pretty, probably pretty inspired by that in a kind of early 90s straight to video way. Cool. Rooker, Rooker <laughs> Howard's in it, Gary B. Iced. You can't go wrong. <laughs> no, it sounds like you can't go wrong. Or, or not right. You know, but either way, it's, it's going to be a win. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Right on. Cool. I think, uh, I think that's, that's a good way to end. Yeah. It's good to, it's good to be back recording and talking. So it's, uh, yeah. Scheduling is, is, is a struggle, but I think if we're gonna try and we're gonna try and do what amounts to being editless recordings, um, so yeah, we can release them. Right the video. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> otherwise yeah. it's kind of falls on me to edit them, and sometimes I, I don't know, you get when you're editing, you're trying to listen to like an hour long podcast and edit it down. Yeah, it's rough. It'll probably so. take like sixteen hours or something. Yeah, yeah. especially if you've got like. You know, guests that uh, go off the rails. Yeah, so. that's yeah, that's all. You'll you'll also note that we didn't talk about what we're drinking. Um, not to say we won't drink yeah. in the future, but like, you know, just for this one, let's just say say not. Let's drinking. keep it. Yeah, keep it straightforward. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. Thanks, Rob, for for talking with us. I I'm sure we'll. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for uh, breaking the uh, the dry spell. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. It's a pleasure. I'm sorry for. Like a couple of failed scheduling no, no attempts. No one knows about that. No one knows. No one knows. No one knows. Yeah, that work-life balance thing can be tricky at times. So. Hey, we can talk about that next time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'd like to talk about some more of that stuff. Some of the non-technical stuff that we deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. And one of those is exactly that. Work-life balance. I mean, in your case, yeah. you're supporting. We're asking you to be on podcasts, which is a huge hassle. And you're trying to support open source products or or open source projects that you have doing work having family kids so we'll get into some of that stuff in another episode but writing a yeah. book yeah it's just so much that people are so many so much that people are doing as it relates to their work that isn't uh standard work talk so yeah, yeah. It, it is certainly going above and beyond so and it's yeah it's can be tough to put that stuff in all right well thanks again rob right. and thanks Thank for you. i'm glad you guys were able to like pair up in one room that makes things a little easier so yeah and, and i think uh i think one hour works yeah i think that's right. i think we just hit like a one hour mark yeah cool great all right catch you later thanks man